Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH TV. Well, just like electric vehicles, drag queen story hours, digital currencies and plant-based lamb chops, 15-minute neighbourhoods are coming to a city near you and there's not much you can do about it. If you're not worried about it now, you should be, because the busybodies behind this idea want to thoroughly disrupt the way you live your life. The 15-minute city is fine in theory. Who doesn't want to live within walking distance of everything you need? But not even the proponents think that's possible, which is why they want to introduce them by force, which is what they're doing in Britain using CCTV cameras, number plate recognition, boom gates on streets, and annual quotas for entry to certain parts of your town to enforce the idea or they will introduce them by stealth. One of the best examples of this in Australia at the moment is in Paddington, Sydney. For full disclosure, I live in Paddington and in my opinion will be adversely affected by the proposed alterations to the main street through the neighbourhood, Oxford Street. In a minute, I'll be speaking to a New South Wales senator who feels the same way. But you don't have to live in this area to suspect something is amiss here. The Trojan horse to sneak in the plan for 15-minute cities is the renovation of, of Oxford Street from four lanes to two with, have you guessed it yet? That's right, a bike lane. It's curious how these things keep popping up all over our cities, but they are never mentioned in election campaigns. Politicians know that bike lanes irritate everyone except the smug cyclists whose mode of transport has evolved from a method to get from A to B to a political statement about them saving the planet. If the local state MP, Alex Greenwich, mentioned this particular bike path or bike lane at all during the state election in March, I didn't hear about it, and neither did any of the residents and business owners who attended a furious public meeting about it last month. I invited Greenwich on the show to discuss it, but he categorically declined. He's welcome on here anytime to explain his opinions about it. I can glean some of it though. He seems to be leaning towards favoring the idea. I've got my hands on an email he recently sent to another resident. Quote, 
Transport for New South Wales says that this is the strategic design phase of the project and there will have to be a formal consultation stage later this year when the detailed design has been prepared. Alex will promote this information when it is available to alert residents as early as possible. And here's the, here's the key bit. Alex will advocate for more safe crossings over Oxford Street, reduce traffic speeds, reduce traffic speeds, access for residents to get into and out of the adjacent residential precincts, and additional funds to upgrade and unify the streetscape. I think that's a euphemism for sticking in a bike lane. Sounds like he approves it to me anyway. Remember, this is how politicians around the country approach unpopular ideas. They just try to sneak them in without alerting too many opponents about it. Well, let's bring in a politician who does care about the residents' concerns, and he is a resident himself, Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg. Andrew, welcome to the show. G'day, Fred. How are you? Good, good. Now, Senator, you are a resident in this area as well. And uh, I don't want this to be a conversation about a local problem because I see this as emblematic of bigger issues. Now, so firstly, do you agree? This is typical of the way politics is done these days. Sometimes, you know, behind closed doors and without opponents being alerted to it. Well, Fred, the main issue here is that the interests of the small businesses have not been taken into account. I think there's been a lot of discussion in back rooms about what to do here, but I don't believe there's been a proper ventilation of the issues and the impacts on small businesses. And obviously I represent the state in the federal parliament, so I'm not engaged in day-to-day -day, uh, road and transport issues, but I do know that the incumbents are doing a poor job of representing the small businesses, which I believe will be very badly affected if this is to go ahead. How badly affected will they be? Well, to start with, it will erect a permanent cycleway in front of all these businesses. And Oxford Street is dominated by small business. There are other roads which have very few or no small businesses. So I think they will be affected in the construction phase but permanently impacted, perhaps through the loss of parking spaces and accessibility, but also physically uh, having a barrier in front of their businesses will be bad for their shops. Well, just to um, explain to the viewers about how serious this could be, at one end mm. of this stretch of Oxford Street is St Vincent's Hospital. Mm. And you don't have to wait long on Oxford Street to see an ambulance rush down there with sirens blaring. If they reduce the street from four lanes to two, those ambulances are going to get stuck in traffic, no doubt about it. Now, that's, that seems to me reflective of the fact that the people behind this don't really care. Well, I don't think this has had the proper consideration that it requires. I believe there is a lot of, there have been a lot of conversations that have happened behind the scenes here. And what I'd like to see is a full ventilation of the best options with the data uh, before any decisions are made. Now, ultimately, all roads, pardon the pun, lead to Jo Halen, who, who is the new roads minister, and she'll be forced to make a decision. Uh, but I would like to see all members of federal and state parliament who have a view on this uh, present their perspectives to Minister Halen 
as well as the local councillors. I mean, they play a very important role here in representing the local interests of small businesses, but also the residents. Yeah, well, representing is the key word here. I mean, uh, and and again, you know, just to sort of make it emblematic of what's happening around the country, it's, you know, it's it's, mm. it's increasingly the feeling of people that they're just no longer represented by their representatives. Now, but talking about stuff that's going on behind the scenes, now you don't have to stand very long on the bike paths that do exist in this neighbourhood to notice that more than half of the people using riding along those bike paths work for courier and delivery companies. Now, what are the odds that there's a bit of lobbying going on from those companies in the background? Well, I'm not against uh, the express delivery of tucker to people's houses, um, but I think it's a balancing act here. And if there are going to be bike paths, they need to be in a place which is not going to be massively disruptive to businesses and to existing roads. And uh, I'm yet to see the case for Oxford Street uh, be made that that's where the bike path should be. So um, I think ultimately, there's been a state election in the state of New South, New South Wales. There's a new roads minister, um, and I think it's now incumbent upon Miss Hayland to run a clear and transparent process here before any decisions are made. Yeah, fair enough. And just one more question before we move on to a, a few other topics. Am I right? Mm. Are bike lanes a Trojan horse for 15-minute cities? And if so, are 15-minute cities bad? Oh, look, I, I don't know whether it's a Trojan horse for 15-minute cities, uh, and I don't have a particularly strong view about this. I think some people will be happy to live uh, within 15 minutes of everything they want to do, and others prefer to travel more broadly. I'm not into setting parameters for people to live their lives, uh, but if, look, if people want to, want to ride a bike, that's fine, but it shouldn't be to the detriment of the rest of the community, and it feels like here the balance is not right. So um, we will be trying to put a lot of pressure on the state government to make the right call here. Well said. Okay, let's talk about inflation, uh, which is a yeah. hot topic at the moment. Uh, yesterday, the Reserve Bank raised the interest rates for the 12th time in 14 months. That's going to cause mm. enormous pain. Now, the debate is uh, around inflation. It seems to be stuck in the, uh, in, in between left and right. It's either caused by corporate greed or high wages. But uh, smarter economists know what the real cause of inflation is, don't they? Senator, what is it? Well, the main driver of inflation in Australia at the moment is the federal budget. And Jim Chalmers has unleashed a large amount of discretionary spending $14 billion in the coming financial year, and that balloons out to over $40 billion of new discretionary spending in the Ford estimates. And that is money that is making the Reserve Bank job, Reserve Bank's job so much harder. So Canberra is piling on the new expenditure and the Reserve Bank is trying to put the brake on. And that's why the country is seeing higher and higher interest rates because the Reserve Bank is trying to compete with this flood of money from Canberra. Now, uh, there's a table 3.2 in Budget Paper 1, which sets it out, if you don't believe me, uh, but that sets out this additional spending, which is $14 billion in the, the upcoming financial year of new money. Yeah, well, I mean, the irony is that the, the absolute insanity of it is that 
as soon as there's hints of inflation, which is, as you say, caused by government mm. expenditure, this government's mm. response is to spend more money and pretend that it's going to alleviate the cost of living. That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, you can see here that the Labor Party is sending out their backbenchers to attack Philip Lowe. Philip Lowe is doing his job. Uh, he has been raising the cash rate because he's trying to fight inflation. And he's fighting inflation in this way, in this aggressive way, because Canberra has not been capable of pulling back on spending. And in fact, they're doing worse than that. They're spending new money. So until Chalmers and Albanese are able to get to a contractionary budget stance, the interest rates will continue to rise. And that is going to make life so much harder for families and small businesses. So it's a pretty simple proposition. While Canberra is spending more money, the Reserve Bank will increase interest rates. And this, will, this cycle will continue. So this latest interest rate is really on Chalmers's head. And I hope that people are prepared to look at the facts here. There's lots of misinformation. But the core fact is that the federal budget is fueling inflation and higher interest rates. Well, let's look at some other facts, though. I mean, your government, you were a member of the pre previous yep. government, uh, one of the biggest spending governments in Australian history. Why should we uh, think that um, you've got the answers? There's no question that too much money has been spent in the previous cycle as well. And we now need to be honest about that and say that the only way we can get inflation and monetary policy into its desired range, which is 2 to 3% inflation uh, over the year, uh, is to adopt a, a de-inflationary de or disinflationary stance. And we know we need that. I mean, we're not even running a neutral position. I mean, the government is claiming that it's a neutral position because they've legislated energy caps. But does anyone really believe that the government can legislate out inflation? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of funny. <laughs> I, mean, I wish it was funny. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, th th so really, until you see that table 3.2 have no new spending in it, uh, I don't think we're going to be able to get ourselves out of this cycle. Well, that's not that, that's pretty grim for the people who are counting their uh, their dollars and cents at the moment after the latest uh, interest rate rise. Finally, Senator, before you go, let's talk about Pride Month, which is this month. And of course, there are constant reminders of Pride Month in inner city Sydney. Now, this represents the LGBTQIETC group, and the T in that stands for transgender. This is a phenomenon that is losing momentum overseas, I'd argue, and indeed seems to be entering class action lawsuit territory. What's your opinion about treating kids who think they've been born in the wrong body with puberty blockers and even surgery? Well, these are very sensitive issues, and I've met with parents, I've met with uh, different people who have strong views about these matters. And I think one thing is common amongst all groups is, is that people don't want to see politicians trying to weaponise these issues. These are deeply personal matters. Uh, these are matters which are within the preserve of the state health system. Uh, I, I want to see everyone get a fair go. I want to see everyone treated equally. That's always been my starting point. Uh, if you want to, want to talk about medical issues, then those really go to the state uh, parliaments. Uh, but my overriding message is I want to see everyone given a fair go 
and I'm a big believer in equality, no matter what your shape or size may be. But you're not allowed to vote, you're not allowed to smoke, you can't drink, you can't get a tattoo if you're under 18, but you can start on puberty blockers, which inevitably lead to surgery. Don't you think there should be laws against this happening or this sort of counselling well, even? Well, I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm not, not a big one for the nanny state, as you may know anyway. I mean, I'm not, not big on all of these sort of nanny state arrangements. But in terms of medical advice and medical practice, I mean, that is not something that the Commonwealth Parliament is involved in in a day-to-day -day sense. That's a matter for the, the states. And, uh, you know, I've heard arguments for and against these practices, and um, I will take advice from the doctors and the, the medical profession about what is the most appropriate... Uh, legal settings. These are big decisions that you're alluding to here, and they're not things that politicians should weaponise, in my opinion. Senator Andrew Bagg, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Fred. That's New South Wales Senator and Paddington resident, Andrew Bragg. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. Alan Jones is taking a break at the moment, but tune in at eight o'clock for a highlights package of some of his best interviews and editorials from the past few weeks. And have a look around our website or app for the latest from Nick Cater, Damien Curry, Alexandra Marshall, Spectator Australia, Daisy Cousins, Lyle Shelton and more. Tell your friends, ADH is the new home for common sense commentary. And there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at seven o'clock. Good night.